Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today I'm joined by Kevin Brassington, former global head of grains and oil seeds at Kofco, and prior to that, president of oil seeds for Europe at ADM. Kevin currently lives in Canada and consults for a number of private equity groups and agri-entities. I guess I, I just wanted to start off with what is probably a, a simple question, but a, has a very complex answer. Um, you know, even prior to COVID-19, global trade was was under siege by geopolitical trade disputes. Um, how has that impacted and changed the, the traded agri-markets? Well, Paul, it, it is a, definitely a meaty question. Um, I would characterize it uh, by taking a step back. You know, we've had, you know, the abnormality to me has been we've had 40 years of, let's say, uh, good institutions, political stability uh, around the globe. And as we go forward, we're going to go through a lot more uh, events that have more uh, instability. So, you know, what we've seen even the last decade you know, moves by the governments to get involved in the in the agri trading business. You know, obviously, Kafka took over Noble and Nidera. Uh, we've seen the the Saudis uh, invest in Salik and and add a bunch of infrastructure to to Canada, uh, as well as we've seen the Japanese. Uh, you know, back in the the early 2010s, uh, take on Gavilan. So, I do see us tending more that we'll see more and more national champions. Um, you know, even in let's say more liberal and democratic governments. Um, we've seen them get more actively involved uh, in basically uh, the equity markets to the point of obviously buying junk bonds. Um, but like I say, if we take a step back, we've we've had you know declining interest interest rates from the 1980s, uh, interrupted by you know the tech bubble in the early 2000s and debt and. You know the debt and great financial crisis in 2007 and 8, uh, and now we're dealing with COVID. And I, and I do think all that does is increase pressure. Um, you know, as we've seen, our supply chains kind of get disrupted as uh, securing feed source and security for you know for the nations. Um, so I, I do see a furtherance of basically you know uh, standing up national champions um, as we go forward. One impact of the trade wars, tarification, um, is that those kind of market dislocations, at least looking historically, have always provided opportunity for independent trading houses. Do you do you see that potentially in the future? Um, that one I have a lot, of, a lot of clarity on, Paul. As we consolidate some of the, let's say, the macro trading, I, I do think that you know tarifications and sanctions and, and different trade problems you know will give birth to you know different different market parities that allow basically you know uh, new businesses to grow and and new trading houses to come on the you know come on the uh, come on the market you know if you go back in time and you look how you know Philip Brothers and Glencore got started you know it was off of a, a pipeline in the middle east so i, I do think that we are going to birth a, a few new trade shops with the right money behind them you know as we go forward what happens to the those supply chains themselves, you know, even with the trade dispute between the U.S. and China, you saw, you know, 
a collapse in or at least a halving of the soybean exports from the US and that had a knock-on effect on shipping and investments in shipping, but right the way through the supply chain. Is, are there going to be fundamental um, impacts that are long-lasting because of COVID, because of these trade disputes? I, I, def- I definitely agree. And I do think it's going to be, and traders are going to have to be much more nimble um, as we go forward. And this is not without precedent, Paul. You know, you go back to the grain, grain robberies and, and even uh, you know, the iconic uh, federal, uh, central banker, Alan Greenspan, noticed the Russians selling gold in large amounts uh, just before the great grain robbery in the 70s, uh, which involved it in, in grain embargoes. So situationally, we've seen this before, uh, probably not in this generation of traders or the last one. Um, but I do think, you know, and we've seen that already in the last years is, you know, uh, you know, with the arrest of the, the Hawaii uh, CFO in Canada, and you know, you just lost four million tons out of a twenty million ton uh, canola S and D in Canada. Um, so I, I do definitely think you get, you know, sideswiped by you know actions, um, tariffs. Uh, we've seen those uh, come and go. Um, as recent as with this, you know, Chinese U.S. relaxation. You know, whether they re- meet their requirements uh, remains to be seen. Um, and never mind some of the. The ones that are underpinning this are like the non-tariff barriers, um, you know, things around, you know, uh, weed seeds and, and antibiotics and the other things, especially between the USA and EU. So those, I think, all grow, um, especially when you basically you undermine some of the, the institutions. You know, if you would have told me in January that in three months that uh, the U.S. would uh, defund the WHO organization in a time of need, I would have raised my eyebrows. Um, But I do think as you kind of shake the foundations of the WTO and and the IMF and and who, you know, this all gets into very much more short-term trading and and less less long-term supply chain management rather than a a more of a a survival mode. But within that, there is more more trading opportunities in that. Um, But you have to be very, very situationally aware and, and very tapped into all the geopolitics going. Yeah, interesting. The, the last um, 10 years have been, uh, as in all of the commodity value chains, been one of, as I think you mentioned yourself, consolidation. You know, we have now few large independent players, um, the ABCDs. What happens to them in a world of national champions? Uh, in a world of national champions, you know, I, I do think they're going to have to, you know, work with um, some of the national champions that are going to probably... I believe, um, look for opportunities to, to partner um, rather than compete with national champions, um, you know, as the, the downside is quite large rather than basically at least maintaining status quo. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, even before COVID, you did see some of the, you know, consumer demand trends um, around organic, allowing locally sourced products. Uh, some of these trends start to eat the, eat the margins of already thin margins. Um, as well as basically, uh, let's say, finance uh, taking a dimmer view of, of agricultural trading and, and just trading in general. So I, I do think they're going to have to basically partner uh, with uh, global champions rather than compete. Is there still a place for the, the smaller, a smaller, more nimble trading organization? I, I believe that there is, Paul, but I, I do think that it'll be partnered with uh, money that you know, knows and respects the commodity space. You know, we, you know, Bungie was born from, you know, a uh, family money. Um, you've seen other 
operations like Louis Dreyfus come from family money that have done quite well. Um, they just don't do well in, in basically low interest rates and low volatility. So I do think backed by the right uh, finances and financing firms, there is a, there is a place for smaller, more nimble uh, trade houses. We are seeing in the commodity markets that there's a greater involvement of, want of a better description, algorithmic trading, um, hedge funds, you know, other strategies. And agriculture, or at least the products, you know, some of the most fungible, um, you know, exchange-driven traded products there are in the commodity world. And that seems to have had a real impact, that, that greater transparency of, of the markets themselves has had a real impact on traders' ability to make money. Is, is that a fair statement? Is, or is there still opportunity out there? You know, the uh, I feel that a lot of those uh, AI programs and algorithms do a great job because they never lose kind of the history and uh, events. Um, they're not a human that basically tends to forget. So I, I do think that there is a, there is a place for them, uh, absolutely. But I, I do think that they are all model-based, and it's tough to model uh, events like uh, pandemics and, let's say, other, let's say, tail risk um, type things. And that's where you get into, you know, some of the books by, you know, Asim Talbot, uh, The Black Swan and Anti-Fragile where, you know, they tend to basically do better in a decentralized um, world rather than rather than having a, a centralized model that takes on a lot of risk uh, that's built off a model. Um, so I, I do think a bit more decentralization around some of the national champions. That's where I, I come with the thesis of there is a place for smaller trading operations. With all this, you know, so you've got a number of threads here. We've got the uh, changing um, geopolitical landscape, um, tarification, a, a phrase uh, we used earlier off, off air. Um, you've got uh, the introduction of new trading technologies, new participants. Um, you've got the potential uh, or certainly growing addition of these, you know, government-sponsored um, entities. What does it take to be an agri-trader now versus 10 years ago? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't take. It doesn't take expensive assets. Um, just in, in my time, I've seen um, a lot of CapEx spent, um, some of it needlessly. Um, so I, I do think that there is potential for more consolidation um, in the agricultural space. Uh, there doesn't need to be overlapping you know, export terminals uh, at ports around the world. You know, To that point, though, you know, there's got to be a margin come from the traders and inherent in the assets. Trading is difficult, um, just trading off the screen without uh, looking at some of the flows. Um, so to me, the, the point is, is you build out, if you're a small one, looking for more, let's say, bottlenecks in the supply chain, catching consumer trends. Um, and I don't think, uh, Paul, and that's where you kind of go back from the world you know, tariffs and, and basically geopolitics into basically some of the things that happened with COVID. I do think you're going to, you know, when one uh, plant in Sioux Falls shuts down and it's 6% of the supply of meats in, in the Midwest, you, all those efficiencies you've built in these great big um, chains, I, I do think gets broken up. And that becomes with a little, a little bit more smaller, uh, isolated dead capital. Um, you're seeing that in some of the locally produced stuff. So I do think, you know, some of the stuff is going to get decentralized around the edges. So the stuff that is centralized and overbuilt um, will tend to get consolidated. Interesting. And what does it take, I guess, you know, from an individual standpoint? What, what, is, what, is a, what, what skills does an individual trader, agri-trader agri need now compared to perhaps, you know, 10, 20 years ago? Oh, he, I believe that he needs basically um, inputs in the government. 
you know, knowing what uh, the next trade deal do, um, what is, you know, what is um, the EPA going to support and not support? That's one thing we haven't talked about is biofuels and what does biofuels uh, look like in terms of, of government action? You know, we've got 38-odd percent of the corn going to the ethanol industry that doesn't seem to get any support either in an energy bill or basically in, in a farm bill. Um, and basically at the same time, we're trying to support crude oil prices while we're sitting on a lake of ethanol. So, you know, to me is you've got to basically be somehow tied into basically uh, Washington or Ottawa or your basically your, your domicile uh, Brussels wherever you need to be to figure out what's going on and what the favorable winds are in government policy, um, which can change, you know, overnight, um, especially, you know, in the world of Twitter. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> I guess and that, and that ties back to, you know, if your future employment as an individual, you know, agri-trader, he or she, you know, is, could just as likely be with a, um, a national champion compared to a, an independent um, what what different stakes are at work or stakeholder lenses are happening in a national champion, given that you've effectively worked in both environments compared to a traditional independent? And, and how does that change the market itself? It does. And, and to be fair, it's one of the defining moments is whether you're working for an economic benefit uh, that rewards you personally or you're working for a social, be- a social benefit that uh, rewards, uh, you know, a nation and before you sign up for the national champion i would suggest that uh that you align with basically the strategic goals with you know whatever national champion you're going into uh at a top level so they can get on board fully um you know working in both um there's benefits to both um but they both uh, both do have their nuances i guess changing track a little um over the last 10 years let's say you've had a community of trading houses who have um, come from the energy sometimes the metals side but um, essentially want to diversify out of the the commodity stream that they're in and many have attempted to enter the ag space um, and most have had limited to to less than limited success um, why do you think that is? Have they just not found the formula or it's too hard to crack? What's going on? Um, you know, for my time in Geneva, I did watch a lot of the like, energy companies try to diversify and try to roll out basically into the egg space. And that, and that goes back to my, you know, the amount of capex and the amount of working capital it takes to make some of these complex structures work, um, especially when you have different consumer trends eating at the fringes uh, of those margins. Um, just overall, uh, there's been just too many people in the egg space. So that's where I go back to consolidation. Um, then you add the entrance of the, of the national champions uh, that are there for a social benefit rather than necessarily uh, an economic benefit. Um, you, you just the margin structure has been there to kind of, let's say, that is uh, different than what they're used to in the energy space. Um, so it is basically pushed a lot of those people or, or not what the appetite to basically go further down that path of being in the egg, the bulk egg commodity space. Um, and we've seen that, like we've seen that in, uh, with Tupfer, uh, when it got uh, ingested into TADM, um, you're just not seeing some of the, let's say big shops, um, around anymore. Yes. And, and along with that consolidation, just speaking from a, a people standpoint, 
we've seen fewer and fewer actual individuals um, participate as traders. You know, there are fewer seats available. There's less development of the next generation happening. I guess that will pose a challenge at some point. Where and how do you find the next generation? How do you recruit? Where do you recruit from? Because um, it is a pretty limited supply right now. It is, you know, to your point, a lot of the top jobs are, are consolidated at the top and, and you hear a lot more even through pervasive through all of all of the different companies about supply chain management, uh, margin management, um, you know, basically less risk off. So there is basically a, a dearth or, or lack of traders that are being groomed to take on the, the next generations. You know, whether they're needed um, or not is a question that's open, whether some of it goes to AI and algorithmic trading and you get more, you know, say managers of assets rather than just a pure trading platform. Um, but I, I do feel until you feel the margin structure changes, which to be fair, you know, is basically a, a wider interest spread. Um, you know, we, we have had a declining interest rate spread that just makes the margin tighter and tighter as we go forward. So until we get basically some more volatility, which we're seeing, um, some more basically geopolitical shifts, and there is some reward for the money that you put behind a trader, I, I do think we're going to basically keep shrinking that um, where they come from. Um, there's a lot of smart people in the world, you know, and, and trading different commodities. You can basically move from, you know, grain and oil seeds over to sugar and, and from palm back into you know, some other products too. So we, we can find them. Um, there's just got to be a reason to find them and it's just not there yet. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, and I think, you know, actually there is, I think sometimes there can be an overemphasis on skill set versus capacity and capability. Um, and we ourselves have often seen, you know, people transfer commodities and do very well, right? Um, uh, and I think that firms that do that yep. tend to be more robust over time as they have a, a, a talent pool with more depth and breadth to them. Um, so I fully, fully agree there. What, um, you know, as you, we look, you know, what do you think is going to be the biggest impact of COVID-19 on the, the, the traded agri-markets? Hmm. Uh, great question, Paul. Um, I, I do think people look more and more to security. Um, basically who's got the right protocols in place, which is, you know, a continuation of basically some of the things we've seen around traceability and sustainability. Now there's going to be almost a certification. What is your, basically your, your pandemic policy that, so that your consumers and your customers don't have to worry or sleep at night, not knowing that they're going to get their products. Um, saying that, you know, uh, Vancouver has operated very well, uh, through this period, some of the export terminals, there has been too, too many disruptions. You know, it's a low amount of people uh, versus the amount of grain. So that that's okay. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, in, especially in your, your consumer food markets, you're going to see more and more people look for protocols on, you know, pandemic preparedness. We talked a lot about national champions. We talked um, a lot about the, the impact um, of tariffs, um, geopolitical events on the existing trading houses um, and their setups. Um, if you were to launch a startup um, outside of the US and Canada, which country would you most like to set up in? You know, Paul, that's a great question. The, you know, for me, as we go forward, um, you know, pandemics aside, um, I do think, you know, it's, Four or five months ago, we were talking about climate change almost daily on the news, and and I do think as we as we go forward, 
you know, some were with a more stable um, agricultural, um, which is for me water. Um, you know, you go down with surpluses. Obviously, Brazil is an easy choice for that. Uh, and or basically uh, somebody with a need. Um, you, you've watched basically, you know, people uh, dam rivers in the Middle East, you know, we've got rising temperatures. You know, to me, there's got to be a need, whether it's basically setting up on a supply with a consistent water or basically on a demand need, whether or consumption, uh, which is Africa. Um, but like I say, that uh, they all have their own nuances to them. You know, you, you've you've lived. You know, wrapping up, you've lived all over the world, Kevin. Um, you've you've chosen Vancouver as your your current location. Um, I can have a few guesses, but 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 why Vancouver? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first thing is family. Uh, family is kind of scattered through uh, Western Canada, so uh, makes it a nice central spot for everybody to come. And then basically, I sit on a ski hill. So, you know, when you're not uh, worried about, uh, you know. Uh, world debt and, and world ag trade problems, uh, you can clear your mind very easily by walking 50 steps and, and going for a quick ski. Well, <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty, pretty jealous given I, I live in Houston and, uh, you know, you have to travel about three, three hours in, well, more or so in any direction to get anywhere near uh, any topography. Yeah, and to be fair, I, I can't imagine a uh, I can't imagine a more beautiful place and a more secure place to kind of wait out kind of some of the... Uh, you know, uh, some of the pandemic problems going on. Um, I actually, day to day, my living is actually relatively normal other than not being able to work to a restaurant. So I'm quite okay. Good. Well, long may it last. Well, uh, we really appreciate you um, joining us today. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Paul, thank you for the opportunity and uh, you be safe and uh, let's hope we all get through this. Thank you for listening. To find out more about HC and HC Insider, go to hcinsider.com. There you'll find interviews and other content on the commodities markets produced by Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodity space.